Um, it's wonderful to have spent this time in worship with you all. Isn't it precious to be able to come together with the people of God and praise him and be reminded of how good he is? If you don't sit up the front, you wouldn't have noticed perhaps the little girls that, that dance at the front. They actually started doing something different today, first time I've seen it. When we were called to prayer, they went down onto the ground and they hid their faces and they prayed with us. So God is amongst us. Isn't it beautiful to see um, our young people growing up in our midst? And um, God is always at work. I just can't wait to hear what uh, Cam and the team have to report and um, how that will point us in the direction of continuing um, mission and, uh, well, starting mission, really, toward the Korean people in Thailand. Well, this morning we are continuing our series. So over here we have a cubby house under construction, and it is to remind us that our spiritual lives are under construction. God is working in us all, all the time. We've spent a month uh, looking at faith, and we've spent a month looking at goodness, and today we go on to knowledge. So knowledge is an interesting thing. I remember really clearly back in the 80s, the Australian um, government and so forth started to talk to us about the information superhighway that was coming, and fiber optics were going to change the way that we received information. And I was at uni at the time, and so I was sort of in that place where lots of knowledge gets shared, right? And um, I thought, how much more knowledge can we have access to than we already do? <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Before change happens, you can't actually imagine what the change is going to look like. But the super, uh, information superhighway certainly came, and with it, we got access on our personal computers virtually to all the knowledge that is in the world at the moment that has been put into digital form. And it has transformed the amount of knowledge, the amount of information that we receive. So Google now processes 40,000 search queries every second. Actually, these, um, these figures are probably a year or two out of date, and I don't think they're getting any smaller. Um, YouTube services 88 countries in 76 languages, that's 95% of all internet users, and 300 hours of YouTube goes up every minute, it's uploaded every minute. Wikipedia develops, continues to develop at the rate of 1.8 e edits per second, so nearly two, two edits per second, that's performed by editors from all over the world. Currently, the English uh, Wikipedia includes 5.8 million articles and it averages 572 new articles every day. And social media. Well, isn't that interesting? Uh, my quick search, I think there are around about 50 platforms that are commonly used at the moment, 50. Facebook is one of them and there's a few others there that you would recognise. And there's loads of information that gets put on, on social media. But I'm not quite sure how much knowledge is up there. Because really it's people's opinions, isn't it, that is on social media. Nevertheless, it's worth reflecting 
what has happened in our society in the last couple of decades as we have been opened up to all of this knowledge. So as we look at this word knowledge that Peter uses, I want us to think about what is true knowledge. What is true knowledge? So let's start by uh, refreshing ourselves on what Peter uh, is talking about and what we're looking at in this series. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who through the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So the knowledge of him who called us, the knowledge of God and of, of our Saviour Jesus Christ, that's the knowledge that Peter talks about when he says, to faith add goodness, to goodness add knowledge. Really, the only true knowledge in the world needs to be based on the fact that God created this world and he sent Jesus as saviour. Any information or knowledge that, that um, forgets that God exists or presume that God is absent is actually erroneous knowledge. Somewhere it is faulty. So just as um, uh, we've discussed about the need for a good foundation if you're going to uh, build a skyscraper, we need the foundation of faith if we're going to have a, a strong life. So um, faith gives us a stable, strong, substantial life. If um, anyone is without the not true knowledge of God, they're going to have a wobbly life rather than a godly life. Peter tells us that true knowledge of God and Jesus gives us access to God's divine power for life. Going on from verse 4, through his glory and goodness, God has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate, not just have access to, but actually participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. So it's worth mentioning here that there's actually two choices. God calls us to participate in him, in the divine nature, or we are vulnerable to a world that is corrupted and given to evil desires. Those are the choices, divine nature, worldly nature. He goes on in that introduction, for this reason, for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So one of the truths of this passage, and it's been said before, is that our life is under construction, God is doing a work in us, and all of those wonderful sounding virtues become available to us through the Holy Spirit. 
the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Two of them are actually named in another list as fruit of the Spirit. I suspect they're all fruit of the Spirit. We don't produce those things in our own lives by our own effort, but by cooperating with the Spirit, by cooperating with God. And then um, Peter goes on to say something very interesting, that if we develop those things, they'll keep us from being ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in, then in verse 9, for whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. So we sang about that this morning, actually. The work on the cross is finished. It has paid the price for sin. And whoever believes gets brought into right relationship with God. God does not any longer count our sin against us because Jesus paid the price for it all. And we are now justified. That means made righteous and made to have right relationship with our God. Okay, well, what about this true knowledge that uh, we have seen in Peter, this knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ? Um, Jesus talked about that knowledge in this way praying at the Last Supper, both for himself and his disciples, he says this, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now sometimes we think that it's because our sins have been forgiven that we have eternal life. Actually, what Jesus is saying here is it's because that we come to know Jesus as uh, the Son of God and the only true God as our Father, that's what gives us eternal life. That's what gives us eternal life. He equates salvation, really, with the knowledge of the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. That's what I was talking about. The righteousness that becomes ours puts us in right relationship with God. We can know him. So eternal life, According to Jesus is knowing God and knowing that God sent Jesus. The very concept of knowing God is unique to Christianity. No other religion teaches that every believer can know God, can talk to God, can be led by God. Some religions will suggest that those that are higher up might be able to hear God. Um, but only Christianity teaches that we all can know God. So when I was growing up, I didn't used to dance in church. I used to dance at home when I was a little girl, about the same uh, ages of these girls. But there was one song that we used to sing at Easter that just really touched my heart. And I remembered it um, long after we hardly ever sang it, really, only at Easter. I don't know why it's such a great, it was such a great hymn. But this is the chorus. It says, He lives, He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, He lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know He lives. 
He lives within my heart. Even a child can get that. That Jesus loves us so much. He wants to come and live in our heart. And he's alive and he's talking to us and he walks with us. And day by day, we can hear him and know him and share our day with him. I couldn't understand why we only sang it on Resurrection Sunday. <laughs> it was such a, a great truth. But there we have it. So do we know the only truth? Do we know Jesus? If we know him, we have eternal life. If we know him, we can introduce him to our friends and family. If we know him, we can talk to him. It's possible to say, I believe in Jesus, and to believe he's the saviour of the world, and yet have not personally experienced him or known his love and forgiveness, or to really understand what grace and the undeserved favour of God is. One of the um, classic illustrations of our relationship with God is the um, relationship of marriage, or possibly a long-standing good friendship with someone. So every relationship starts with an introduction somewhere Sometime you have to get to know them for the first time. So um, my husband and I met, sort of, a couple of times before we really met. And so he was introduced to me. I was in um, the, the dorm room of one of my friends at uni. And um, John thinks I was a bit stuck up. And to be perfectly honest, I couldn't have uh, recalled his face afterwards. I just... Doesn't take much notice. Sorry, John. So the second time I saw him, he was actually driving his HQ, got it right, Monaro, down the main street of Mount Gambier doing a manie. And I thought, ooh, nice car. <laughs> and the only glimpse that I got of him through the window was of his hair, longer than mine, blowing in the wind. And I thought, ooh, nice hair. So at that point, I knew he who he was, but I couldn't say I knew him. Yeah. So we didn't meet again um, for several months, and we were at a party together, and um, we we met again then and began to talk, and that's when we began a relationship in which we started to go out. We got to know each other, and uh, within um, about eighteen months, I think we were married. So we've now been married 37 years this year, 37 years. <laughs> Which has been um, a fun journey with its ups and downs as, as any marriage is. And you would think that I have got to know my husband in that time, yes? But he still comes out with things that surprise me. Sometimes he'll tell me stories of before we met and I think, well, I haven't heard that story before. And... I can't predict how he will answer questions or react to things or what his attitude will be. Sometimes it's in keeping with what I would expect and sometimes it's not. So 40 odd years I've known John, but I don't know him well enough to be able to say I know everything about him. So our relationship with God is like that. At some point we get introduced to him. We get to know him and we start a journey 
of learning who God is. And unlike some of our relationships with people, we get to know them and we don't really like them very much after a while. Um, Not so with God. Not so with God. So, you know, God's the author of love, the creator of every good thing, the one who is beautiful in holiness. And we grow more and more in love with him as we realize how much he loves us. We're continually surprised by how good God is, how embracing and inclusive he is of every human being, as well as understanding his holiness, his anger at evil and injustice and the plan of his salvation to reach the whole world throughout history. You know, those people that hold up placards and say, God hates fags, they don't know God. God loves fags. He loves every person and wants them to repent and come into his salvation love. So too, Jesus invites us to experience the divine nature so that we can know Father, Son and Holy Spirit like all of our life as Jesus follows. All of the spiritual virtues that Peter is teaching us about, they only grow as we cooperate with God, as we let him lead us. So knowledge, true knowledge, brings change. At one point Jesus was teaching, and to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if these sons set you free, you will be free indeed. So again, again we have a knowledge that is actually experiential. It's lifestyle. Jesus says it comes from obedience, from holding to the teachings of Jesus, which are goodness or moral excellence that we've been hearing about in the last month. Jesus says that that kind of life, faith, believing in Jesus, then goodness, holding to Jesus' teaching, results in knowledge of the truth of Jesus. And the effect of that is a life of freedom. Actually, freedom is related to Peter's next virtue that he uh, talked about, self-control. If you're controlled by someone or something, you don't have freedom. But if you are self-controlled, and you choose freely which way you will walk, then you have freedom. When you control yourself so that um, you walk in goodness, obedience to Jesus' teaching, that sets you free, so that you are free indeed. And remember the reason that Peter gives for being ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because we forget that we have been cleansed from our sins. Jesus has set us free from slavery to sin so that we can live as permanent, permanent, eternal life permanent, sons and daughters of God's household. Jesus taught the disciples in a similar vein in the Last Supper. He was um, telling them that the Holy Spirit was uh, going to come in his place because he had to go to the Father. And then he says this, Oops, wrong button. On that day, 
you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. He goes on again in a similar vein. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So Jesus says, if we love him, we will obey him. We will follow his teachings. If we don't love him, we won't. We won't have a reason. We won't be motivated to obey him. And Jesus also says there that when we live in love with Jesus and obey him, the Father also will love us and come and dwell with us, is one of the translations. Make a home with us. So we have here what is going to be a cubby house, a little home, a dwelling. Just think about that for a moment. There is a dwelling place within us where God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit share space with us. It's an eternal space, actually. It's not just a small space somewhere in our spirit. We don't really understand what our heart is. But God comes and he shares a space with us. He dwells with us so that we can know him, so that we can know him. We up to putting up the next. Perhaps Pastor Cam would, would nail on that uh, next plank for me. <laughs> my husband and my pastor have been trying to talk me into nailing it on myself. <laughs> well, I just don't know if it's my gifting. In fairness, I did nail that, uh, that first, second one on there. Um, but how many times did I bend the nail? <laughs> yes. So, as you know, the foundation is faith. The framework has been goodness. And now we're going on to the other virtues. And one wall will be... Um, representing knowledge. Thank you, Cam. And as he's nailing it on, I'd just like you to remember that small little space, <laughs> which will be populated by teddy bears or little children's workshop or um, who knows, the mind uh, and creativity of children will use it for all different things. But, but we dwell <laughs> Thank you, Cam. <laughs> but we dwell together uh, with God so that we can know him. So the issue of obedience, what is it that we're supposed to obey? What were Jesus' teachings? If you look up Matthew chapter 5 and read through to verse 7, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus taught 
what he believed, what, what were good values for us to live by. And then he said a very interesting thing. He said, if you do these things, you will have a foundation in your life and you will withstand any storm. Any storm. Isn't that the life we want? It takes effort to walk in faith the way Jesus requires. Um, Jesus also summed up the law and all the prophets by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And the other command is like it, love your neighbor as you love yourself. That means that we are to live with our neighbors in a way that we are loving them and caring for them the way we love and care for ourselves. Just imagine what would happen in this world if every Christian loved their neighbors in that way. That alone would transform the world. Jesus went on to talk about love. He said, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. As Cam was talking this morning, um, persecution has ramped up the last 100 years. There have been more deaths by persecuting of Christians uh, than any other time in history. Numerically, more. We're reminded, um, I was reminded this week, that God has a special place for such people under the altar in the center of heaven. But Jesus taught us to love our enemies and pray for those that persecute us. So by all means, let's pray for persecuted Christians. But the Chinese Christians who have been persecuted for a long time and their uh, persecution, the, the government is ramping up what it's doing at the moment in China. They actually say, don't pray for us for persecution to stop. Pray for those that persecute us. Pray for our ministry. So we are called to pray for those that persecute us. What, a, what an amazing God. What a different way to live. Jesus actually started that by saying, you've heard, love your friends, hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. What a wonderful God to know. And so we are called to live a different kind of life. Uh, Andrew Potts, when he was preaching a few weeks ago, he said, separating faith and works is like separating body and spirit. So the only time body and spirit are separated is when the body dies. That's why James said, faith without works is dead. We um, taught the kids in kids' church over the last month this, uh, this verse. Um, a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. And Jesus uh, sorry, yeah, Paul taught this, but in the scriptures it says, it is by grace we're saved through faith. And this, not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. We get that bit. I think we get that bit really well. But it is not by works that we're saved. It is by the free gift of God. But the very next verse says, for... We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. So God has unique 
good works for each one of us that only we can do because each one of us is different with different gifts. So last month we saw that uh, goodness is based upon our salvation faith. And Peter gave us an illustration of how knowledge and faith are combined to receive the promises of God in the passage that we looked at earlier. So we'll just revisit just a few verses. He starts off to those who through the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So faith is required to receive the very great and precious promises. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. Another version says, Faith is being sure, sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So when we are claiming the promises, that's how we do it. We hold faith, hold on to that hope, hold on to with certainty what we do not see and God answers in his way, in his time. But these great and precious promises are not just for heaven. The verse says that the divine power we need for a godly life. God gives us divine power to live a godly life. So participating in the divine nature gives us Boldness to witness to a neighbour. It gives us compassion to cook a meal, uh, a second meal while we're cooking for our own family and give that to somebody who's in need. Or help to uh, be caring and wise with uh, that grumpy neighbour or, or work colleague. Divine power enables us to overcome addictions or stick to a healthy diet or be disciplined, keeping our work uh, to the right standard or doing our work around the home. Divine power for everyday life because Jesus is there walking beside us and his spirit is with him. So how? How do we participate in the divine nature? By asking the Lord of the universe who has taken up residence in our hearts for his Holy Spirit for that power. That's what prayer is. That's why we pray. As we're walking and talking with Jesus, along the way we're saying, God, fill me with your spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean just once. It means always for as long as you are. As long as you are a being, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So be filled with the Holy Spirit. We just pray at any moment, at any given time, God, I need strength. God, I need clarity. Lord, help me to focus. Lord, fill me anew with your spirit. So to be filled um, is, is something that should be part of every day. 
the way we start the day and the way we go on with the day. Okay, we're just going to finish off um, just with one basic question for each of those parts. And Dale, if you would like to come up. Um, so how well do you know God and Jesus? How well do you know him? Do you realise that you can know him better? Actually, all throughout eternity, you can know him better. Spend some time in reflecting on that. How do I get to know God better? And the second one, how can we grow in walking with Jesus and talking with Jesus? That's actually something that only you can do. God can't do that for you. You decide whether you're going to grow in your relationship and whether you're going to depend more or less upon Jesus and, and his guidance. So are you obeying Jesus' commands to you? You know, when God brings conviction into our life, it's not to make us feel sad and unhappy and um, down on ourselves or guilty. Because actually all of our sin has already been paid for. It is to help us to be obedient and to walk in Jesus' teachings because God knows that's actually the only way that we'll walk in freedom and joy and happiness. And lastly, do you know how to receive divine power? Do you know what that means? Have you put it into your internal agenda about how you relate to God? God, I want more of you today. I need more of you today. I need more of you every day. And I thank you that you want to fill me. Let's pray. Oh, Holy Lord. <laughs> Amazing and wonderful God. How good you are. Is there any like you? No, there is none. There is none like you. I pray, O oh Lord God, that you would call to us and we would answer. I thank you that the word of God says that um, to come to you we must believe that you exist, but also that you are a rewarder of those who earnestly seek you. Let us be a seeking church, Lord. Let us be a seeking people, seeking you. And uh, thank you, Lord, that you already have the reward of relationship, the reward of love, the reward of your presence planned for us. Amen.